Welcome to Let's Talk About Life, a podcast brought to you by LifeBank, the organ, eye, and tissue recovery agency in Northeast Ohio. Donation can be a complicated subject, but it is really all about life. So spend a few minutes as we unravel the complexities of donation. So come on, let's talk about life. Normally, I'm not one for statistics, but I urge you to listen closely to these. According to the United Network of Organ Sharing, or UNOS, there are 106,000 individuals waiting for an organ transplant right now. Of that number, approximately 64,000 are minorities or multicultural, which include Black, Hispanic Latino, Asian, American Indian, Alaska Natives, and Pacific Islanders, and multiracial, non-Hispanic individuals. However, that's really only half the story. In comparison, during 2021, the number of deceased organ donors from these groups were less than 5,000. There are many reasons disparities exist in these ethnicities, waiting for an organ versus being a organ donor. Hi, you're listening to episode 105 of Let's Talk About Life. I'm your host, Colleen Gerber, kidney recipient and LifeBank staff member. There's a lot going on in the month of August, but one of the most important occasions is that it is National Minority Donor Awareness Month. Many of us know about the disparity of healthcare in this country, which affects so many individuals right here in Cleveland. Our guests today are two individuals that are leaders in healthcare and who are affecting change in that disparity. We are so honored to talk to Dr. Charles Modlin, the medical director of the Office of Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity at Metro Health. Also joining the conversation is Margie Diaz, MSNRN, who is the Director of Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity at Metro. Thank you both for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Dr. Modlin, we're so excited to chat with you. We've known each other for uh, quite a long time. And in all transparency, you were my mom's urologist many years ago, so... (laughs) Um, I thank you for that and for your wonderful care of her. But you are in a new chapter of your career, and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. Your role at Metro is the medical director for the Office of DEI. And can you explain a little bit about your role and what some of your goals are for this new role? Yeah, thank you. So I really appreciate you having me on your, your broadcast. It's been nice you know, knowing you and working with you for close to 30 years, and I really value and appreciate all the work that you're doing over at LifeBank. So I actually spent the last essentially 28 years of my career at Cleveland Clinic from 1993 and, until uh, uh, mid-2001 practicing as a kidney transplant surgeon, uh, but also as a urologist. During my time at Cleveland Clinic, I transplanted uh, oh, probably over 500 individuals, uh, both living and deceased donor, uh, kidney transplant, and that was quite gratifying. I, I was always involved in uh, promoting organ donation out in the community, and especially in, in the black community, because as you said, we need more African Americans and minorities to understand the importance of organ donation. So now in my new role at at Metro Health, I'm still practicing urology. I'm still involved in promotion of organ donation. 
but in my role also, I'm responsible for leading Metro Health uh, Health Equity Initiatives. And one thing that I'm doing, I'm going through all the different clinical specialty areas, and we're uh, one by one establishing health equity centers in all the different medical and surgical specialty departments. I also play another significant role in terms of helping recruit a more diverse professional staff here at Metro. That includes physicians and advanced practice providers, because we desperately need more diversification in, in the healthcare workforce. There's evidence that, that more diversity actually helps improve patient outcomes. So that, that's very important. I'm also still quite involved in mentoring the younger generation, trying to encourage more young people to enter into the healthcare professions. So that's just some of the work that I'm doing now here at Metro. But again, I really uh, appreciate this opportunity uh, to highlight some of the disparities that we particularly see in, in African-Americans with respect to organ donation and kidney transplantation. Yeah, it's something that we're really focused on. And LifeBank is working very closely with Metro Health on donation awareness in general, but specifically this topic. August is Minority Donor Awareness Month. Can you discuss some of the disparity in the multicultural community of those on the transplant waiting list versus the number, which is much smaller, of individuals who are registered donors? Yes. You know, first of all, I mean, the incidence of chronic kidney disease and and end-stage renal disease, kidney failure, is in in many cases four to six times greater in the black uh, population than in their white counterparts. And a lot of that is due to a higher incidence of diabetes and hypertension, one or the other or both uh, conditions are more prevalent. Uh, African-Americans, Hispanic, um, Latino populations. And that actually leads to um, a higher incidence of chronic kidney disease. And, you know, as we know, untreated high blood pressure, diabetes, longstanding can lead in in most situations to uh, kidney dysfunction or even kidney failure. We also know the data shows us that uh, many black populations are are less likely to be even referred to undergo a kidney transplant evaluation. When we talk about organ donation, uh, we do know that there is an issue with lack of awareness uh, in in many respects in in minority populations of the black uh, community with respect to the importance of organ donation, you know, why it's important. Uh, About 92% of all deceased organ donors are from Caucasian uh, individuals. And even though, you know, we know that it's feasible and individuals can receive kidneys from individuals from different races and and have excellent outcomes, we do know that the results are better if we can have a racially concordant match, uh, African-American donor to African-American recipient. And a lot of it has to do with the the closeness of the matching. And and so it's important that we educate minority communities about the importance of registering to be an organ donor, because we do need more African-Americans to to be donors to increase uh, and improve outcomes of kidney transplantation in, in black populations. So, yeah, there's a huge disparity in the incidence of developing kidney disease. There's a disparity in in terms of access and actually uh, uh, minorities having access to receiving kidney transplants. They wait longer on the waiting list to receive kidney transplants. There's a higher incidence of rejection post-transplant. So there are a lot of disparities, you know, with respect to recipients 
um, potential recipients qualifying to be a, a kidney recipient, and uh, the the number of donors out there, uh, both living and, and deceased donors in the black community. So it, it's a big problem that we need to raise awareness about. Yeah, I agree. And uh, as I mentioned, we're working hard to do that. Uh, one thing I wanted to get your opinion on, there is a test, is a GFR calculation, and that helps to identify the kidney function. And up until yes. recently, it was almost a separate test for non-Black individuals and then African-Americans. UNOS is now calling for non-racial neutral calculations. What do you think about that? So there, there's been a lot of controversy. And, you know, just for your audience, the GFR stands for glomerular filtration rate. It's a test or an estimation in terms of what a given individual's kidney function is. The, the way that we determine um, the GFR is based on a blood test called a serum creatinine. That, that's an analysis of, of your blood. Uh, creatinine is a byproduct of, of your muscle metabolism, but it's a direct uh, correlate in terms of, of what your kidney function is. And it's been probably for the last 30 years or so, there was some research. Now we're understanding that, that the research really wasn't valid. But there was research that suggested that African-Americans have a higher muscle mass. And so for a given creatinine, there was a um, calculation that, that determined that in African-American, uh, the kidney function was better uh, for a given creatinine than it would have been um, determined to be in a uh, Caucasian-American individual. And, and, and therefore, there needed to be a um, corrected calculation to determine what the accurate kidney function is. We're now understanding that that was uh, un unreliable research. Uh, that, that's not really the case, uh, that African-Americans have a higher uh, muscle mass. And, and, and the reason uh, why this has created so much controversy is because it actually, uh, in many instances, because it, it overestimated what the kidney function really is in African-American populations. And then when an individual uh, was, was vying or, or trying to get um, evaluated to receive a kidney transplant, they were actually delayed in, in, in being uh, listed or having opportunities to go on the transplant waiting list because you have to have a certain um, GFR that has to be a certain level or below to be able to, to be placed on the kidney transplant waiting list. So African-Americans were disadvantaged. And so the uh, National Kidney Foundation was one of the first groups to, to recognize this. And there's been a wave all across the United States where most uh, academic medical centers are now doing away with that differential uh, basis in terms of, you know, GFR determinations. But yeah, it, it was uh, determined to be a distraction. It was determined to be, you know, discrimination, if you will, uh, against uh, many uh, people of color based on, you know, faulty research and, and assumptions that the kidney function or the GFR was a calculation needed to be different according uh, to uh, the race of the individual. Yeah, so it really was a deterrent in transplant for African-Americans, actually. Yeah, very much so. And those numbers really do tell the story of where you are and the importance of getting on that transplant waiting list. This is something that, again, we need to educate the community about uh, to, to be aware. At Metro, you know, we're, we're advocates for elimination of health inequities. And I think that was a very important milestone that UNOS and the National Kidney Foundation and other academic medical centers have actually realized this and rolled, rolled this back. For as long as I've known you, 
One of the great projects that you instilled was the Minority Men's Health Fair. And you're still doing that at Metro Health. And in fact, you held one in April. Can you explain your passion about the Minority Men's Health Fair and why that's so important to you? You know, years ago when I was growing up, my father really instilled within me that it's my responsibility to use the education I've been fortunate to have received to give back to the community. You know, there are people who came before me who blazed trailways and provided me opportunities that my, you know, my parents and, and, and ancestors never really had an opportunity to pursue. And, and so I've been blessed. I've been in a unique position to be able to go to college, medical school. And I just wanted to, to utilize, you know, the, the skill sets that I have. You know, as a urologist, one of our subspecialty areas is, is in men's health. And after I finished my urologic surgery training, my kidney transplant training, I was able to step back and take a broader view of the healthcare landscape. And that's when I really became aware of the healthcare disparity crisis. It, it really is a crisis state for the entire nation. When you consider that as we move along in the next 20 years or maybe even before, minorities are going to become the majority percentage of the population. And so if minorities have the higher incidence of health disparities, lower life expectancies, higher rates of all these chronic disease states, that actually doesn't pretend well to the overall health of the nation. And so this is a crisis state that I'm trying to, to raise awareness all, all across the country. Everybody needs to become aware of this. The, the community, the governmental elected officials, uh, other stakeholders, we all need to become aware of, of this crisis state because we need to wrap our arms around this and, and really come together to solve the causes and find solutions to these health uh, inequities, these health disparities. So I'm very passionate about it. You know, it's something that I'm driven to continue to do. We had a very successful minority men's health fair here at uh, Metro Health uh, April the 28th. We we started the health fair at Cleveland Clinic back in 2003. And so over the years, we laid hands and, and we've had a positive impact on, you know, over 30,000. Uh, men who have attended that health fair, and some women, of course, all, also attend. So this is the work that we really believe in. It's something that we're going to continue. And, and uh, you know, thanks for recognizing this and, and helping us uh, spread the word about the, the importance of preventative health screenings for all. It's so important for people to be aware of their own health. And I understand your passion, and I appreciate and applaud you for, for doing that. And that's a huge Thank service you. for the community. I appreciate it. Thank you. You know, Donate Life Month, um, August, um, you know, National Kidney Awareness Month. But really, we need to stay informed. We need to educate the community on, on a daily basis throughout the year about all of, you know, the importance of organ donation, um, kidney health, uh, being aware of um, what causes kidney disease, how to mitigate against uh, developing kidney disease. You know, as you mentioned, high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, people can have these conditions, not even know that they have these conditions. So, you know, we, we always want to underscore the importance of that, that everybody needs a primary care provider. You know, whether or not you feel that you have any signs, symptoms, you know, go, go get your blood pressure checked. Know what your family history is. If there's a history of kidney disease in your family, you may be more susceptible to kidney disease yourself. So, yeah, this is something that we want to uh, advocate for on, on a daily basis, you know, throughout the year. So, you know, we always appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to spread the word. Absolutely. As Gordon Bowen always says, every month is Donate Life Month here. So it's every month is uh, important to bring awareness to these very important causes. 
Dr. Modlin, I can't thank you enough for being with us. You certainly are a legend in this field, and we appreciate you and everything you're doing to help save and heal lives throughout the community. And now at Metro Health, how exciting. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I appreciate the work that you're doing, and everybody over at Life Bank. And uh, I have the utmost respect for you and, and uh, Gordon Bowen, the CEO over there. Just you know, continue what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Joining the conversation is Margarita Diaz, who is an MSN and RN and is the Director of Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity at Metro Health. Margie, thanks for talking with us today. I so appreciate your time. Colleen, I'm so excited to be talking with you, and thank you for having me. Well, as we've talked to Dr. Modlin about his new role at Metro, you are the director of, of all that. And share with our audience the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion within Metro Health, but why is it also important to Metro Health patients? Oh, well, that's a great question. And um, absolutely, we say equity, inclusion, and diversity. Uh, now that we are the Office of Equity, um, and we are so excited that this work has been elevated within the system to now have Dr. Madeline join us as our medical director and Alan Neville as our chief diversity officer or chief equity officer. But this work has always been a part of our mission at Metro Health. We're a 185-year-old organization whose mission is to serve the community. And I, I love the quote uh, that, that we must be embracing to all, treat all, and, and serve all, and see value in all because that's what we've been doing historically. People assume that, okay, that's what we do and that's our mission, but what does that really mean, especially when we serve such diverse communities and also marginalized and underrepresented communities? And so we have to meet folks where they're at and we have to speak their language, so to speak, and go beyond treating folks the way we want to be treated, but treat folks the way they want to be treated. And so we know that we have diversity when we look around and we see the many different people around us, uh, both as employees and in the community. But inclusiveness is bringing that voice in, is really, again, hearing folks and meeting them where they're at and listening with empathy. And so that is critical to our mission. I, I love our Star IQ values. Uh, and Star IQ is an acronym that stands for service to others, teamwork, accountability, respect, inclusion, diversity, and quest for excellence. And so our values also include uh, to be inclusive and uh, diverse and, of course, equitable. And it's critical because, again, we want to build those relationships with our patients and we want to see them holistically. You know, wherever we go, we bring our whole self with us. And that includes our patients. We don't just look at them as a, as a number or a diagnosis, but as a person that's complex. And how do we communicate and engage that person to empower them to partner with us to promote their wellness? And that's, that's really what inclusivity is. And then when you do that, your outcome is equitable care. Wow. As you said, people bring their whole self to their work and to their service. So it is important that they're trained and they understand. And um, when people are sick, they need to be met where they're at, right? Absolutely. And you bring up a, a great point because 
around 54% of our patients are from underrepresented folks. And when you look at our employee base, we have a larger majority that's 80% and a smaller majority that's reflecting the communities that we serve. And not saying that we can't meet people where they're at, but that's why it's so important because when we hire folks that are from the community, people that look like us, that understand us, there's an automatic built-in trust or there's a relationship that happens, an engagement that happens at a level that is more personal because you both understand each other, whether it's the same language, culture, race. And so that's critical for folks to see people that look like them. But then for everyone else, that doesn't mean that, you know, we're out of luck or we're hopeless. That's where the inclusive, diverse, and equitable piece comes and the awareness and the training is so critical because how do I then engage with folks who, you know, are not representative of a community that I come from? Or I may, you know, have really no knowledge of a culture, but I can grow awareness and I can learn and I could be willing to learn. And those awareness pieces are critical because really a patient just wants to know that you're willing to flex, don't have to be perfect, but you're willing to meet them where they're at. And that builds trusting relationships. And when our patients trust us, and then they're empowered to care for themselves. And that's how people get well. You know, you think of service anywhere you go outside of healthcare. Why do you seek the restaurant that you go to? or the stores that you shop. It's not just the product or the meal that you're receiving, but it's the service. It's how people greet you. It's the feeling you get when you walk in a place and it just feels comfortable, cozy, or home. And we tend to gravitate to that. So part of being inclusive is helping people feel like they belong and they're welcomed here. And that says, that transcends any language, culture, race, or religion. Um, You know, that, that feeling of belonging is a a basic human need. And so we want to help our communities feel that they are welcomed and that they belong here. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up and you are so right. And you understand uh, one of LifeBank's challenges with educating the community about organ and tissue donation, which is a small factor of what you do. I get that. But there is, has been decades and decades of misconceptions and mistrust of the healthcare system by multicultural communities. How do you feel your role and Dr. Modlin's role and the whole Office of Equity in Metro Health is addressing those misconceptions? So that's, that's a really great question. And, and that historically is a challenge, right, for healthcare in particular because of our history. And it's important to understand, this is what I say as far as when when we speak with our folks internally and we work with everyone from frontline to the C-suite and our providers, is that you have to know your history to understand where we came from, to know where we're at currently, to move ahead and, and overcome these obstacles. So our history, and it's unfortunate, right, when we think of Tuskegee and uh, Henrietta Lacks, and there's other things that happen in healthcare. Uh, these communities are fearful, and we have to be really intentional and diligent about reaching out to the communities. And that's why we talk about helping them feel welcomed and belong. And, you know, folks like Dr. Madeline promoting being visible 
being visible, speaking out in the community, um, having many partnerships, our partnership with LifeBank and many others is, is critically important so that the community sees that we are in partnership with others to help them. And we have to gain their trust. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, right? You may have an excellent product. You may serve a great meal, a fantastic steak. But if they don't eat, you can serve a banquet. But if they don't come to the table to eat, right? (laughs) And and I think that's what we do in healthcare. Well, we're the best. We're number one. We're level one. We do this. We do that. And that's fantastic. And we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to strive to be excellent. But we have to bring people to the table. And I will tell you that it starts with relationships and seeing us visibly in the community, hearing us speak, seeing people that look like us in leadership positions. Um, like Dr. Madlin and Alan and others that look like us. And then we have to put our money more about this. We have to be integrable and we have to build that trust. How do you gain this trust where, where people uh, really see you as someone that truly cares for them? And so that's why it's, it's beyond a procedure. It's beyond a diagnosis. It's beyond a visit. But that when you're in front of me, and I say this not just for providers, But at every touch point, it doesn't matter if you're sitting in an office, if you're cleaning a surgery room or something like that, every single person, when you have an encounter with a patient or a visitor, it matters. First impressions matter. And community speaks. They will tell stories. They'll go back to their churches and their schools and their neighborhoods, and they'll talk about what they encountered or how they were uh, treated. And um, I know, Colleen, you're probably going to lead to this, especially with the Latino community, Hispanics are very underrepresented uh, among organ, eye, and tissue donations and are 60% less likely to register. Again, and I think it's a part of lack of knowledge and it might be cultural with many other communities. But again, it's how do we build that trust and that credibility and partner with the community and have representatives that look like us, right? to engage them to say, hey, we want you to be better. And so what I tell folks and some of the messaging that we tell the clinicians is, we're here to help you. We want to see you well. We're providing the best care possible for you and your family. And really, that took seconds to say, but imagine you're sitting there with a family member and, and you hear that or, or you're in a visit and you're, you're frightened to death. You don't know what the results are going to be. I always say when we come into to the hospital, it's not like we're coming to Disneyland. You know, it's yeah. not, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, we want you to come for your annual wellness visits. But a lot of times and we're level one trauma. The, the folks that we treat have a lot of critical illnesses and they're complex. Right. And, and that's scary in itself. And then add a culture that may be different from yours and a language on top that may cause a barrier. And so we have to understand the dynamics of the complexities of the people that we serve. And when we have that awareness, we learn how to navigate those relationships. And that's the critical piece. And that's what equity, inclusion, and diversity does for our healthcare system and beyond. Yeah, we actually did a television interview with Telemundo yesterday. And we featured a young lady, Stephanie Soriano, who is a liver transplant recipient. And one of her comments was she feels that there is a lack of understanding and education in the Hispanic Latino community about donation and and medical care in general. 
As I was doing my research, I found that you were named one of the 100 Latinos in Cleveland to know. So I want to ask you, what would you like to share about the need for organ transplants and organ donors and registering as a donor, why that's important in the Hispanic and Latino community? It's critically important. Bottom line, it's life-saving. That's what I would say. This is going to save your life or a loved one's life. And be willing and be open to listen. And listen to the experts that are coming to help you. A lot of times, I will say culturally, again, they listen to the neighbors and other family members' experience. And uh, to her point, um, a lot of times these folks speak without a lack of knowledge. And so I will definitely agree. They need to understand and learn the importance of why this is here to help them. We, you know, LifeBank is, is giving life. It's, it's bringing life. It's saving lives. And I think that that's the key message. As a Latino person, I would say very simple. It is life-saving. And we have to learn to trust folks who want to help us. And we have to bring others with us. And we have to share that message. So when that happens to us and we understand the critical importance of that messaging, then we know that we have to take that to our communities and share. And sometimes it's a one-on-one conversation over coffee or it's sitting at a family table and talking about these things. But I would absolutely agree. We don't have enough conversations about these things in a positive way and how they're helping to save, save our communities. It was interesting when Gordon was interviewed, he said, yes, we work with the donor side, but LifeBank is all about life. We're a life-giving organization and that's our number one role. And we do need to be out in the community more and talking and having those one-on-one conversations with people. So thank you for being part of that. Uh, I'm just thrilled, Colleen, that, that we're having this conversation. And, you know, we have a whole team here that wants to help and bring the message to the communities. And I speak Spanish, hablo espanol. So, you know, I welcome folks. I always love when the community approaches me when I'm out there and asking questions. And that's how we learn, right? No question is a foolish question. Ask the questions uh, and don't be afraid to approach others and have those conversations. Absolutely. Especially in healthcare. There's so many details that people don't know. Obviously, there's a million things going on behind the scenes at Metro Health. And there's so many things that go on to be an organ donor that they don't see. But it is. It's, it's an amazing when you can just have a conversation and share those facts. That light kind of gets a little bit brighter. And they're like, oh, okay, now I get it. We thank you for helping educate our listeners, our audience. And we look forward to working with you, Margie, for many, many years. Well, thank you, Colleen. And yes, we are happy to partner in in this and and in anything we can do to support you and the communities. Absolutely. This is critical. We hope you found today's episode informative and inspirational. You know, you can save lives simply by going to lifebanc.org and registering your donation decision. You can catch Let's Talk About Life 
on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, but you can always find it at lifebank.org. We thank you for listening and we hope you come back next time. And come on, let's talk about life. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk About Life. If you have questions about today's podcast, reach out to us at info at lifebank.org. Take a few minutes to do something heroic and register to be an organ donor by saying yes at lifebank.org. Literally, someone's life is dependent on it.